following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. We are just continuing on in the series on what a weird church. And I wanted to ask at the very outset if you have ever heard of a man named Philip Spinner. Maybe Spiner, I'm not quite sure because he's German. You never know how to pronounce a last name. But Philip Spiner uh, is not alive for a long time. Uh, he, he, clearly, right? And let's just praise God that they don't make collars like that anymore. But uh, he lived about 150 years, 100, 150 years after Martin Luther. So Germany, long ago, early uh, in the history of the Reformation Church, uh, and not all of Luther's followers loved him. Spinner taught that the church would be strengthened and really renewed by developing church members who studied the Bible on their own and served in ministry in the church. Radical ideas. Uh, but in 1675, he was the first to argue that a church should do small groups, that a church should gather together in groups of believers, and he called them early apostolic communities. He looked back at, Acts, at the book of Acts and saw the church gathering in houses and thought, Reformation era is church, he didn't say Reformation churches, he didn't know what the, he was in at the time, but uh, churches today should gather in small groups again. Uh, it was a crazy thought. Uh, he wanted to see believers living in close relationship to one another, studying the Word of God together, ministering to one another, uh, living out their faith in the world, and just treating one another with humility and love. Now, in 1675, that's craziness. Because, like, a bunch of Orthodox Lutheran uh, theologians in different universities, they condemned him. They went berserk. Charged him with 264 errors, uh, all related to this. But that crazy idea of his caught hold. Uh, he's often credited as the father of pietism, but he, he wasn't really a legalist or a separatist or a quietist. He really just wanted to see believers in churches minister to one another. And as spiritual awakenings kind of spread across Europe and America over the next couple centuries, a lot of what happened really traces its roots to things that Spinner taught, and then Wesley and others uh, began to apply. And so they began to train believers to minister to one another, uh, to work together, to apply the Bible to their lives. And it was an amazing time and really fanned the flames of revival within the church. Now that, that truth... We're still trying to live out today, but when you look across the, the spectrum of churches, especially in America, that priority of relationship seems to be diminishing and a little bit lost. A lot of more churches are today focused on the, the Sunday show, the thing we're gathering together because we live in a world that elevates individuals, right? Where we follow people. We need and read about people. We love people. We blame people, right? We don't even look at the war in Ukraine as Russia. We look at it as Putin, right? We, we don't look at our state as a mess. We blame Newsom. We focus on individuals. This is how we live and how we think. We tend to be privatized, to, to live with doors, which I appreciate, especially um, early in the morning, uh, 
We, we put fences around our yards. We have garage doors. We have gates. We have things to separate us from one another. Uh, more and more, we are being private, right? If we want groceries, we can have them delivered. If we need Target, we can pull up and they walk them out. If we are forced to deal with someone, we have headphones to make it appear that we don't want to deal with them. There are many cultures where relationships are still valued and where families and all of that um, is the priority, tribes are the priority, all of that. But this is America, right? This is the place where we are individuals, where uh, we believe in exceptionalism. And so to talk about relationships and our need for one another, involvement in one another's lives, and really our dependence on one another relationally is a little bit against our culture right now. But it is what the Bible teaches. Uh, there are some churches, not many, some churches that remember what Spinner pushed for. Uh, too often we can measure God's favor based on how many people are at church rather than the spiritual maturity, the relational strength of the believers who are gathered and how they're growing to love Jesus Christ. And when you see a church where they are deeply in love with one another and with Jesus, it's a little bit weird because of how unusual it is. But it's what we're called to, to be a little bit weird. I'm sorry for that. But that, that's the series we're in. We're, we're in the series about a weird church. Uh, being salt and light to a dying world means we are going to look weird to them. And as proof positive of that, there's just a couple weeks ago, I was at a soccer game talking to a guy who'd really spent most of his life in mega churches, and large churches of two to 3,000 plus, and he was no longer going to church. And we were talking about why, and I was trying to hear his experience and what it had been like to be in those churches where he had both served and been involved for a long time and it was a business it was a machine that that ran and I was talking to him about faith voucher saying it's really you should come visit it's really different than what you've experienced like people are different the 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 way church is can be different than what you've had and it's a loving place he he really couldn't picture it like there there was no mechanism, no, no, no experience of his to, to put church in that category. Zero comprehension. And, and as we talk about relationships, we want to acknowledge, one, not everybody really understands what church is to be. And then also, I think FBC is doing pretty good, just transparently. I'm really encouraged by how y'all are doing at loving one another. So I'm, even as I work through and look at what God has called us to be, and I look at our church, I'm really hoping something is helpful to you, because I feel like y'all do really well at loving people, at embracing. We're not perfect at it, but we're growing. But uh, it is uh, more an identity of our church than it's ever been that we would love others. Every church has an identity. If I say to you, Saddleback Church, like something comes to your mind. If I, I said, hey, Calvary, Calvary, like some, some picture, some person, some identity comes to your mind. And when people hear about Faith Bible Church, my hope, our hope as elders, is that loving people is what comes to mind. People who love others. 
with grace and with truth, right? Humble, grace-filled, word-saturated believers who are dependent on the Spirit. That's the kind of church that God is calling us to be. And so as we look today at the Word of God, and to those who are maybe unfamiliar with God's commands, they might say, what a weird church. But really, we are just trying to pursue what God has called us to be relationally. And when you read the Bible, relationship with one another as believers is something we're just called to over and over and over again. There are 59, it's in your notes, 59 different commands to one another's, and fully a third of them in the Bible are just simply to love one another. Actually, put them all in there, all the love one another's. If you um, add in, greet one another with a kiss, if you put that in the category of love, we're at 50%. I didn't want to put that on you today. So, uh, so we just stopped at love one another. But, but that is an overarching, repetitive, oh, just repeating command to say, if we're going to live as salt and light in the world around us, then we need to love one another. We, we need to love other believers around us. It's a foundational truth of the Bible. And so the first commitment we make when we talk about the, um, what it means to be strong relationally, the first commitment we make to one another as believers is to say that we need others in our lives, right? That, that we can't genuinely exist independently, but that you need others, that life on your own is deadly. As a Christian, you're going to stand apart by believing that you need other people. And it's kind of weird to have to start at this point, but this truth is what was first spoken in the Garden of Eden. When you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, that's what God says to Adam before sin happens. You get this, right? Genesis 2.18, it's in your notes. The Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. Now, just setting aside the whole issue of marriage, what we can just say at the very beginning here is that animals are great, but they're not full companions. Like, they don't fulfill our needs. As good as a dog may be, as much as you may love your cat, like, they are not a replacement for a person. Some of you treat them like them. They're not, okay? God says, like, you need another human in your life. Like, that we need other humans in our lives. Adam needed Eve. It wasn't a functional need. Like, he needed a plumber, so he provided Eve, like, to to do things for him. It wasn't that sort of thing. It was that he needed a relational need fulfilled, a personal connection, someone with whom he would share loves, values, convictions, uh, spiritual things. Uh, And so, that is where we start in the Bible, is saying, before sin... We need one another, right? And, and sometimes, maybe you'll, you've heard it said, like, that this person is so strong, they don't need anyone. But, but the reality is, is there's never been anyone stronger than Adam, right? Because he was without sin. He, he was perfect in every way, innocent, um, before the fall. And yet, you know, physically... Uh, unblemished, emotionally without a scar, mental capacity, uh, just uh, fully developed, strong beyond words, without sin, God says he needs somebody. So, so let's just start at the outset as believers today to say, now that we're living under the weight of sin and all of its ramifications, even more so, do we need others in our life? 
And when sin came, Adam realized he had even a far greater need than just people. He needed a savior as well. His sin separated him from God. It damaged his relationship with Eve. In fact, sin breaks every relationship. And there was no one who ever experienced more pain from sin than Adam did. Because the, the loss of perfection and innocence to full separation from God, he knew better than anyone else. And though hiding from him and unsure what to do, God reached out to rescue him. He sacrificed animals to clothe him, and he told Adam and Eve of a day when the serpent's head would be crushed. And that hope of a future reconciliation, restoration, a future promise of a Savior who would be Jesus, their their faith in that brought them reconciliation to God. And so all all that to say is, um, before sin... We need others. Due to sin, we need others and Jesus. You know what I mean? We need both of them. Jesus is the one who makes us have healthy relationships because without Christ, sin mars all of our relationships. They're riddled with sin. But to to go a step further in terms of what it means to have a healthy relationship, we can even go before Adam and say that healthy relationships are at the foundation of of God, of the triune God whom we worship, right? Because when we are made in his image, that means that we are made with the understanding of our need and respect for others. Uh, We believe the Father, the Son, the Spirit are three persons, one nature. We understand them by the means of their relationship to one another, that, that there is a relationship internal to the Godhead. And part of being made in God's image means that we need others in the same way that the Father, the Son, the Spirit coexist together. It's baked into every person. It's even manifest in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ existed in relationships with others. He had friends. You get this? Like, not just he had followers, he had disciples, he did have those things, but he didn't go through life alone. He went through life in fellowship and community with others. He lived life with people. He traveled with them. He invested into them. They laughed together. They served together. They talked together. They they did everything together. And in his darkest hour, he didn't go off alone. He went to Garden of Gethsemane with three guys. And he went away to pray with them. And he would come and visit them even in those dark times. Jesus shows us that the Christian life is not ever a solo life. It's never done alone. It's always the one lived in community. And that is what must be true at Faith Bible Church. I'll tell you my great fear of being here in this amazing um, performing arts room is that some of you begin to equate church with theater and movies. Because that's the comfort level of our chairs right now. And we love them. I don't wish for it all, the chairs and the bleachers, or the stadium, or if you were here during the Bella Vista days and you had the hard plastics, like these are all improved, so don't get me wrong. But the danger of long rows, theater seats, is that you just sit there and you feel comfortable just sitting there. And It becomes about what's said on stage rather than the relationships and ministry that we have to one another in the church. And that's what God has called us to. And what what happens practically on a Sunday is you show up 
and you're tired. Like, I know this life, right? Like, you're tired. Your schedule feels full. You feel like you did really good to make it here today close to on time. Right? You worked hard during the week. You don't have time for much more in your life. And so Sunday mornings can feel like enough. But believer, Christian, that is not what God has called you to do As a Christian, that's not it. It's one part of it, but that's not it as a whole. He's called you to much more than that. God has designed the church to be a community, right? Not to be a theater. That's not what he's called us to. In fact, in the kind of comically, in the last few years, scientific research has shown that our health is better uh, when we are in community with others. Of course, they would come out during COVID when they lock us away. But uh, what they showed is, is the impact of isolation is the same as smoking. Like 15 cigarettes a day, same as like, so living alone with no one else, or you can smoke 15, same negative effects on your health. You need others in your life. It's physically good for you. It's spiritually vital. Every week, and you heard Patrick and I talk about it today. Every week when we talk about getting plugged in, serving in ministry, joining community groups, that's not like, well, we'd really like you to do something in our church. We believe that that's actually vital for the spiritual health of believers. So we talk about it over and over and over again. If you are feeling disconnected, isolated, alone, I'd almost put money down that you're not connected in community groups, that you're not serving in ministry anywhere. We, we say this over and over because we need one another in life, in ministry. We, we know Christ more clearly because of the believers around us who show off Jesus Christ to us. We don't just need people who are like us. We don't just need people who affirm and encourage us. We need people who are all different than us, who have different gifts, different ethnicities, different educational backgrounds, different socioeconomics, like different generations. We need a diversity of people around us to see Jesus Christ most clearly. That's what the church is called to be. That's who we're going to be with in heaven, people from every tribe, tongue, nation. Like, it's going to be amazing and the, the, the funny reality, and Chris says this often, uh, FBC is filled with more people we would want a vacation with than anyone else. It's absolutely true. Absolutely true. There's amazing people here. Have you ever actually vacationed with people? Like day one is fun, right? <laughs> day four, it's kind of get on your nerves a little bit. By day six, you're really excited to be near the end of vacation, right? Because people sometimes wear on us a little bit. They're not all just like us. The differences start to bother us. So look in your notes, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. This is Paul's words. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called with all humility and gentleness with patience showing tolerance for one another in love being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace again you can think about vacation you can think about people you struggle with just start at verse two again with humility and gentleness with patience showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Listen, that is what we're called to as a church. 
love is not easy. Not everyone is easy to love. Not everyone do we just naturally click with. But Faith Bible Church is supposed to be a place where we have relationships with people, sometimes who we do better at tolerating than just like being super knit to, but a safe place, a place where we're not afraid to engage with others, where we're not afraid to offend others, a place where hard things can be said. We are always, as a church, going to default to having hard conversations with people rather than setting policies because of something that someone did, right? We want to be a place where you can even say wrong things and people come to you with grace and humility and love and kindness and extend that to you and either overlook it or maybe they, they speak to it kindly we recognize you, if you stay at our church, you will get offended and hurt by other people here. We're not perfect. We are sinners with a great Savior. People say things all the time without thinking. They ask questions that, like, if it wasn't for the ignorance, would feel really spiteful, right? Like, because they don't think about, not everyone thinks about what they're saying when they, when they talk. Their words can come across as judgy. People speak with ignorance about your life. And they, they assume that they know things they don't. Let, let's just be transparent. Like, we don't do relationships perfectly here. We are a work in progress, right? But that is why we have Jesus Christ, because he forgives us for all the mistakes and sins and acts we do. And that's why we have Ephesians 4 calling us to show tolerance to one another in love, to have grace with humility, right? With gentleness, with patience. Strong relationships are forged by overlooking the little things and speaking about the big things, transparently, humbly, lovingly talking about differences. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. We have people here, some of whom have great relationships, some of whom are starving for relationships, and others who are incredibly fearful of relationships, just scared of opening up. But the biblical reality is, is that we need others. We need others in our lives. Right, And so God may be calling you today to step forward in faith and to open up your life to somebody even though you've been hiding everything because you didn't want to be known. God may be calling you to do the opposite and instead of waiting for people to pursue you, for you to initiate and for you to engage and to invite someone out to get to know them. Whatever it is, we just want to begin anything we say about our church by saying we, we need one another. Not because of how bad the world is, simply because that's how God designed us to be. He designed us to need others, right? God has designed us for that. So we'd encourage you to take steps to get relationally connected today. So the first commitment we make to one another as a church is to say, I need you. I need others in my life. The second commitment that we take as Christians to stand apart from the world is saying, you're called to serve others. Your life is called to serve others. That living for yourself is genuinely just toxic. Uh, it, this, again, is contrary to the world. If I Google keys to success in life, which I did because I was curious, I can find all kinds of instruction about self-discipline, persistence, influence, goal-setting, networking, embracing failure, being a learner. The Bible says something different entirely. It says, Philippians 2.4, do not merely look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. 
As Christians, we are called to serve others, to look out for them rather than just ourselves. And by this, what we're doing is we're simply imitating Jesus Christ who came to serve, right? That's what Matthew chapter 20 says in your notes. Whoever, this is Jesus' words, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your, what? What? Servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your, what? Slave. It's in the notes. This is not a hard question. Okay? Let's try this one more time. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your? Oh, good. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your? We're getting there. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So when we talk about Christians need others and we're called to serve others, all we're really saying is we're called to follow Jesus. We're called to act like Jesus. We're called to do what Jesus did. This is not some radical call. This is not like we're a weird church, we're a cult, we want everyone involved. We're just saying Jesus came to serve and we should be like him. You get this? Like this is not unusual, though in our day it feels unusual. Because almost every decision we make as people is about who are we going to serve, right? When I am at some restaurant, I can't think of a single restaurant right now. (laughs) Picture your own favorite. (laughs) When you're at a restaurant and you're ordering, do you eat to stay healthy for others so that you can be around for your grandkids? Or do you eat what looks good in your eyes, and you know it's just going to taste good going down, right? Like, that's a mundane example. You could say, when I'm driving, do I drive somewhere to get myself there fast or with concern for those in my car and around me as I drive, right? When, When I use my phone, do I use it to entertain myself or for the purpose, do I have this for the purpose of helping others? Right? Do I care for my yard and maintain my home to make it hospitable to people or so that people think well of me when they show up? Right? Every decision we make as Christians has a fundamental choice of who am I serving. It can be selfish or it can be done to serve others. But in following Jesus, the decision we're making at all points is, I am going to choose to serve others in every sphere of my life. In marriage, Ephesians chapter 5, 1 Peter 3, 1 Corinthians 7, all of it calls us to servant ministry to our spouse. Husband and wife alike, to serve one another. Our concern, 1 Corinthians 7 says, is how to serve and please your spouse. In parenting, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, says that we are called as parents to serve others, to serve our children, to lead them to know and love the Lord. At work, Colossians chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Titus chapter 2, says that the responsibility of both the employee and the employer, a good employee, a good boss, they're both defined as people who serve one another. People who serve others. Now, 
I really believe, I didn't check with Nigel, I believe that if Nigel could snap his fingers Thanos style and get everyone to stop being selfish, we would have to find him a new ministry. Like the counseling would kind of be done with at that point. He's nodding, so that's encouraging. I didn't check. As Christians, the calling of God in our lives is to serve others. It's true in marriage, it's true in family, it's true in work, and it's true in the church. We're, we're called when we gather to not be here for ourselves, but to be here for others. To come on Sunday mornings with the commitment, I'm here to worship God and serve the people who I'm around. Through my conversations, through my actions, through the use of my gifts. First Peter chapter 4.10, it's in your notes. It says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We're called to serve one another. In fact, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says that we're gifted for the common good, for the good of everyone. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that we have actually, God has prepared good works beforehand for us to walk in. He's designed and created us not just to enjoy life and not simply to enjoy Him, but also to live in a way that's pleasing to Him by serving one another. I don't know if you know why we have two, sometimes three services and not just one massive service. Uh, we, we made this choice long ago, honestly, before we even needed two services because we wanted to provide opportunities for believers in the church to minister to one another and to come to worship. Like it, it was sad to us as elders that we had people who were serving in children's ministry and in other ways and they couldn't come to worship, but we believed that their service, in fact, with their service it was not just vital, but that more people in our church should be serving. And so we upped our service count so that people could both serve and worship together. And so, so now, you know, we would talk, we used to talk a lot about having a two-service mentality, about being at one for service and being at another for worship, because we think that God has not just called us to sit and hear the sermon and worship, though He desires us to do that, He's also called us to serve one another. And part, one of the ways of doing that is in ministry on a Sunday morning. And so what, what makes it really fun now, even now, is if you are one of those people, you know how fun it is on the patio? Like, if, if you stick around, there, there's oftentimes a little bit of a party during the next service, right? Like, second service is fun if you're not in here. I'm sure in here is great, too. I'll, I'll find out. But, but out on the patio during second, during third... There's believers out there talking where they served in between services. They're, they're taking a break. They're waiting. The worship team comes out. It is a little bit of a, you know, a party out there. And if you come to church and you just get in your car and drive off, you are missing out. It is a great time. And this is part of why when we serve one another, we grow, we engage in fellowship, and we see our need and benefit for relationship with one another. To be a member of Faith Bible Church means you are committed to serving one another. Uh, you, we actually have a place on there. If you've never done membership, one of the lines on the, the, the sheet, the, the form is, where are you serving in ministry? The ministry there has to sign off on it. That's not because we want everyone invested in the church. That's because the Bible says of Ephesians 4.16 that the church is at its healthiest when every believer is using their gifts for the vitality of the church. So I don't know where you serve, if you serve, but you should. 
If you don't know how you're gifted, that's totally okay. Go serve somewhere. Everyone will tell you if you're good at it or not. It's easy, right? If you don't, then find something else. No, it's fine. We, we're not judging. We're just trying to help people figure out how God made them. If you don't know where to serve, there's no QR code. But you can go to faith-bible.net slash serve, really hard to remember, and you'll see just a huge list of places you can volunteer for. Ministries galore. And then, truthfully, if you have a heart to do something that uh, we're not doing as a church, that's how most ministries in our church get started. Where there's a believer in our church, a member in our church, who's passionate about something that we're not doing. And come talk to one of the elders. And we want to enable believers to minister because we are called to serve one another. Everything from orphanages to hospitals through the years have been started by Christians who understood God's call to serve and help others. So we need others, we're called to serve others, two foundational truths. The last relational commitment we make to one another is by saying your gender matters and that taking another role is exhausting. Um, Chris on another week is going to talk a lot about the theology of gender uh, because gender right now is everywhere in the news from uh, trans and intersex athletes competing, school curriculums pushing gender identity, so, so many things, it's in the news our doctrinal statement is what I put in your notes, which is really clear about what we believe the Bible teaches. It says, under the section about man's creation, it says, God wonderfully and immutably creates each person as male or female. These two distinct complementary genders together reflect the image and nature of God. And I just put right after Genesis 1.27 where it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. We already talked about the Trinity. In the Trinity, we see that you can have different, distinct persons with unique roles who are equal in worth. Does that make sense? Different persons, distinct roles, equal in worth. That's the Trinity. That's modeled in gender, right? In, in relationships, we believe that gender differences show off the truth of God's creation, and the truth of the Trinity. And in, when we talk about relationships, we just want to also say that gender matters. That in the home and at church, God has designed men and women with equal value, equal worth, and different roles, different priorities and purposes. And so at church, who can drive the ice cream truck? Anybody if you have a license. Okay, just for clarity right? Who, who can work at the book rack? Anybody. Who can lead a high school girl small group? Women, just to be clear. Like, it's a different answer, right? Why? Why is that? Well, for the same reason that in counseling, we pair women with women because first, that's what Titus chapter 2 commands, okay? That we're being obedient, number one. Second, transparently, women are just better than men at reading one another, right? Their, their situation, the context, nonverbal, like all those things, guys are not good at that. God designed it that way, and it's proven practically. In the same way, we're going to pair men, for men with men for discipleship, right? Because first, that's what Titus, 2 Timothy chapter 2 commands, that men would invest into men, 
And honestly, then men can show other men what it looks like in their life to obey God in the unique roles he's commanded them to do. Whether it's counseling or discipleship or shepherding or leadership, we strive to put men with men, women with women, recognizing that gender matters in relationships and in shepherding. You, you will never hear of Nigel counseling a woman alone. You won't hear of Tracy Farrell meeting with a college guy alone, right? You, you won't hear of Patrick meeting alone with a female musician. That is, I mean, inappropriate relationships are our number one cause of failure in ministry, but that's not the primary reason we do this. Do you know why? It's because God commands it the other way. He actually is the one who commands for men to invest into men and for women to invest into women. He's commanded for discipleship, personal investment, to be gender-specific. Gender matters. Your gender matters. And we want to follow God's design. He's made men and women equal before him and unique and diverse in their roles. So men have a responsibility to provide, according to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Women have a responsibility to care for and maintain their home, according to Titus chapter 2. Men are responsible for the discipline and instruction of their kids, according to Ephesians chapter 6. Women are called to love their husbands because we're tough to love, according to, well, we are, and according to Ephesians chapter 5. Your gender is a determiner of the priorities God has called you to in life. It's not a limiter, it's a focuser. Does that make sense? In our age, but though, when we live these priorities out, that's weird. People think that that's either constraining or just wrong. It's weird. Today, a woman who lives out God's design and priorities for her is often going to experience ridicule, antagonism, opposition. And honestly, that, that is true for men as well, living out their roles, though, probably, though I think less so. As a church, just transparently, we want people to see when they visit FBC that gender matters. That the way God made us as men and women matters. We work hard to train men with the Bible, to be leaders in their home, to be leaders in uh, the church, to provide opportunities for them. And we also see and believe that God has gifted and made amazing, wonderful women in our church to bless and strengthen this church. I, I look around for service. There are some amazing women who are here today. But because of how our church, or sorry, how our culture tends to neuter men and because many men just on the left of themselves tend to sit back a little bit we we try to push guys ahead not in in a um, artificial way but to provide opportunities for men to push them to lead to push them to live out God's word like for instance the bible doesn't in any way prohibit a female usher but we have guy ushers why we have male ushers. Why? Because we want when people walk into the church to see visibly God's design for men to lead. It's this little small indicator that God has designed men to be visible leaders. And when your kids hit middle school or junior high, they're, they're going to increasingly encounter that most, well, all the ministries in our church at that point forward are going to be led by men because we want them to see God's design in action with men leading within the church. We believe God's teaching on gender matters. We want to follow his design. 
And I know that even me saying men and women are different in God's design risks offending people. It's weird now because it's different than what the, the world teaches. And when you are willing to live out God's design and purpose for you as a man or a woman, you are going to draw the world's attention. You're going to draw as people are going to notice. But we believe we're called to be obedient to God. If you're thinking maybe in your own life that mm, this, this could get ugly or this could be hard, I just take you back to points one and two, right? You need others in your life. You're not left to your own to figure out what this should look like in your life, to live out God's priorities as a man or as a woman. Instead, you're surrounded by believers who should be involved in helping you be conformed to the image of God, to, to dialogue with them, to serve one another, by helping that, so, so talking to your spouse about what you're thinking, talking to older godly Christians about how you're convicted, just working as a community, as believers who love one another to fulfill God's plan for every area of our life, right? Our ambition is that singles, families, empty nesters, widows, everybody lives out God's design for their gender roles and if they do that, we believe we're going to have this massive platform for ministry because of how weird and unusual that is in our world today as it sinks deeper into madness. You look around and the, the very notion of community and relationships is being lost in our world. There, there's one holiday that remains where community is at the forefront. Do you know what it is? It's Halloween. For better or worse, you, you might not like Halloween, you may love it. This is the day, the one day in the year when everyone is in their front yards in the evenings and they're talking to their neighbors. You don't get that on Easter, you don't get that on Christmas, you don't get that any other time but Halloween in our area. Sad, right? But true. Like the, the best time, there are certain parts of our town, it's like Disney Main Street with everyone out. It's incredible. And my prayer is, that that same level of community and affection and engagement is visible whenever we gather. And that, in fact, our church outdoes Halloween, right? We should be outshining Halloween. And I said at the beginning, I think overall we're doing pretty good. I'm really encouraged by how we're doing at loving one another. I think we're as good at it as we ever have been. And I think we can excel more. We can grow. We can get better at it. You can grow. We, you, need others in our lives, right? For the, for the church, it's absolutely integral to our health to be connected to one another for life, for marriage, for family. We are called to serve others with our lives because God built us. He crafted us for that purpose. Our gender matters because it's been given by God to help make us into the person he wants us to be. So, when people think Faith Bible Church, and you say that word on the street, here's what I want. I want people to think, man, they love people. They love people. Uncompromising in truth. Don't really love all that they believe, but man, they love people. That, that's what we're called to as a church. Humble, grace-filled, word-saturated, spirit-dependent believers. So, keep us weird. Okay, that's the charge. Let me pray. Father, thank you.
for this opportunity to dig into your word today. You say in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that you are manifesting through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Jesus Christ in every place. To some, it has the fragrance of life, and for others, the smell of death. Lord, we pray that we would be faithful to represent you to a lost and dying world around us. Lord, that people would not just think they're weird, but that they would actually hear and see Jesus Christ. They would hear of our Savior and not just our beliefs. That they would see Jesus lived out and that we would speak about the one in whom is all our hope. Lord, we pray they would even see our fallenness and our brokenness and our failures and how we have hope for another day because of the forgiveness we know through Jesus Christ. Or we confess we need you more than anyone else and we need one another to be reminded of the truths of your word, to be reminded through life and conversation of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. We see your son clearly through the gifts of others. We recognize you've crafted us to serve you and to bring you glory. You've given us each a unique design. And Lord, we pray that we would be faithful to that design in the days ahead until your son returns. We ask this in his precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.